business tough times. It wasn't necessarily the army. It was um, the decision to start this business. Like that was a that was a really tough time because I, you know, throughout my life I'd had a number of you know entrepreneurial ideas um, that I never implemented, uh, and when this one came along, I knew that this this was the one I had to have a crack at. But at the time, I was working an amazing job. So I was um, the National Director of Strategy and Business Development for a US aerospace engineering firm. Fantastic, fantastic company. Um, the owners were just super supportive, lovely people. I was very well paid. I worked from home on the Gold Coast and just traveled wherever I needed to. Like my job was amazing, mm -hmm. you know, and I loved it. And then when I had this idea, I had that conflict of, you know, I'm very comfortable in my life. This, this company I'm with is so supportive that they're, 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 they've got given me a career path, you know, and all that sort of thing. Yet, this idea, I like, I can't, I can't let go of the idea. So, taking all of that information and then going, all right, I'm going to sell my house, which I'd bought from my war money, uh, my deployment money. Um, I'm going to sell that. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to put everything that I've earned in my 36 years to this idea and if it fails I've basically reset my progress back to right. you yeah. know when I was with my parents yeah like I would have lost everything yeah that was that was hard that was hardest I think mentally hello and welcome to the be the push podcast my name is Jack Ferguson and I'm going to be sharing with you stories of how business owners and entrepreneurs had to push through the hard times in their careers we're going to be discussing the lessons learned from these experiences while arming you with actionable advice so you can be the push when you need it most. Show notes can be found at bethepush.com forward slash podcast and clicking on the relevant episode link. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Today's guest is Benchon's CEO and founder, Tim Wormsley. So in this episode, Tim talks us through his story of dropping out of university, working in nightclubs when he was younger, before becoming a member of the armed forces for 14 years. We talk about the discipline Tim learned during his time in the army and his experiences during his two deployments to the Middle East. And many of his learnings in the army have been helpful as he builds his startup bench on. We talk about how Tim sold his house to bring bench on to life and the process of giving up an enjoyable, high-paying job to pursue this dream. So Tim put a lot on the line to to make Benchon happen. That's why this episode's so interesting. The discussion is full of wisdom. Uh, Tim gives us a warts and all rundown of what his first couple of years looked like running his company, Benchon. I hope you enjoy the episode. Here we go. All right. So today we're here with the CEO and founder of Benchon, Tim Wormsley. Tim, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good, Jack. Thanks for having me. Thanks for thanks for coming along. So, firstly, let's just quickly go over uh, what Benchon is. So, this is what you're you're doing at the moment, and then we'll we'll jump back in time to how how it all came about. But but Benchon is. So what what we're doing is we're solving employee underutilization. So mm -hmm. as you probably know, like our industry is becoming much more contract based, and what that means is that you know contracts get delayed or they get cancelled or they simply don't line up, which means you have expensive gaps where you've got staff on the bench in inverted commas. Um, so what we've done is we built a business to business platform that in instantly matches company staff who are on the bench and available, and we match them to short-term contracts with other companies who need surge support. So in that way, right. businesses can now manage the peaks and troughs of the business cycle with 
paid contracts for their staff in the troughs and then high quality support from other companies in the peaks. Yeah, cool. So uh, it's going to be pretty obvious when I ask the questions asked today that I've never worked in corporate before. Right. But um, so when you say people are in these companies not doing, you know, ineffective or inactive, it sounds in a sense. Uh, what, what what are they doing during those times? Are we talking they're literally sitting around or like? Yeah, well, everyone tries to minimise that. Like the the things that companies do at the moment are they you know force them to take leave during those periods, uh, which no employee likes. Yeah, they put them on admin. So we had one of our clients who had a hundred and eighty thousand dollar engineer as the receptionist for three months. Ouch. That is the most expensive receptionist on the planet. Yeah. And, the, and the engineer hated it. Like he yeah. wanted to be out doing really good stuff, um, but they, could, they just didn't find the contracts for them. So, that, you know, they're putting them on leave. Uh, they're putting them into admin or doing paperwork or meaning, you know, all those menial tasks in between. Or, you know, the, the right ones try to put them on training um, during those periods to beef up their qualifications. But how often does training yeah. line up? with those ex- exact gaps right and so this is a is so this is a huge problem at the moment is it because this is you know you're talking to someone who's never worked in yeah. corporate so but yeah. but we're, we're we're seeing a lot of companies are we with a lot of people who are are not um productive let's say or not um doing the tasks that they're perhaps being paid to do well no it's 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 costing the australian economy 305 billion dollars a year that's okay a billion so wow. that's that's both employee underutilization and skills underutilization. So right. um, it's a huge problem. And I saw it firsthand in industry. I saw businesses shutting down because of the cost mm. directly for this, as well as people losing their jobs because companies go, sorry, I can't afford you during this down period. So we're just going to let you go. Yeah. Um, and so great loyal people that want to stay working get get pushed out into the cold and right. companies lose their corporate knowledge and their employees and everything else just to stay afloat yeah and i just didn't think that was right so yeah, that we fixed it <laughs> that sounds shit ass actually yeah. um so this this in- engineer did you did you speak to the reception <laughs> engineer <laughs> the term receptionist, receptionist. Yeah. did you uh speak to him or her yeah they were they were in my circle when i found right. out i rang him up and i said oh you're in a, uh, you know you've graduated to reception um and yeah he sort of gave me the full story and he was like look you know i took it for the team but I don't ever want that to happen again. Yeah. yeah. How can someone like that even turn up at work? Right. Like, yeah, how do you get excited? Yeah. You know, right, for the next three months, I'm just answering phones when I'm the type of guy that can engineer, a, you know, an aircraft engine. Yeah. You know, uh, that, that's got to be frustrating from a professional standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in now you're, you're setting appointments. Uh, that would, doesn't sound too much fun. But um, before, we'll talk a bit more about Bench on soon, but I want to just uh, press rewind, go right back in time to sort of what you were like um, when you were growing up. Tell us a little bit about um, what were you like as a teenager in your, in your school years, and then we'll move on to sort of what your first job was and how, how your career started. Sure. Uh, as a teenager, I was the black sheep in my family, right? right. Like I did all, I'm a middle child, so maybe I've got middle child syndrome. But, um, yeah, I was the one doing all the bad stuff, breaking the rules and trying to follow my own path. I guess in that sense, that's kind of entrepreneurialism. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know where I was going, what I was doing. I didn't really have a plan. I just sort of flew by the seat of my pants. Um, so that was, that was pretty much me as a teenager. I, you know, got through school. Did I mean did really well? Like I, mm-hmm. I did well at school. My parents gave me a private education. Right. Um, they worked, you know, two or three jobs to do that. Um, so I was very grateful for that. So I did well at school, um, and ended up finishing up quite strong. 
Um, but without knowing what I really wanted to do, I mean, I started university after school and I spent probably the first six months with all of my time in the uni bar, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. d- ditching out on tutorials and everything else until I realized I was just wasting my time. So I left. Right. What um, were you doing? What were you doing? What course? I think it was uh, business communications. You think it was? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, uh, it's had such a small part, you know. Yeah. Business communications degree is just like a, a glorified arts degree, you know. It's, right. or it's not even, I don't even know like that. It's just a bit of everything and mm-hmm. you can choose business. And I mean, I actually, I think I took a drama course while I was in there and at really? uni, you know. I, I didn't know how that was going to help me with business, but hmm. it seemed fun at the time. So I did, so right. I did it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I ended up leaving uni and I started working in nightclubs on the Gold Coast. All I wanted to do was party and have fun. So that seemed like the best place to work. Um, and so I started as a glassy at Shooters on the Gold Coast. Have you ever, ever been there? Yeah, I have. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and worked my way up to, you know, bartender. And then at the ripe old age of 19, I was I was uh, managing a bar there. Really? Um, on the main strip. Yep. Which I thought was amazing. You know, I certainly wasn't mature enough to be managing a bar because I just liked to have the keys on my belt and mm-hmm. invite all my friends in and show them yeah. how important I was and <laughs> walk <laughs> yeah. around, chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, give girls free drinks. You know, that was that was it. It was fun, fun while it lasted. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, at that point, my career aspiration was to own and run my own pub. Okay. You know, um, and much to my parents' hatred of the idea. You know, they'd spent all this money on my education and. All, all I was going to do was go and, you know, run a pub. Right. So, um, yeah, that sort of stuck for a bit. And then uh, it wasn't until, yeah, my girlfriend got me out of that one. Right. And, and put me on the right track. Okay. So, so you do well in school. Um, what, you know, often we're pressured to sort of, you know, go in and do, you know, you've got to do the esteem degree, mm. you know, do the, the corporate thing or get the good job. How did you... Um, process that like well how did you you sound like you were having a heap of fun doing the you know working in the clubs and that but um did you have any sort of weird feeling around the fact that you'd done so well in school and perhaps you weren't using your um ability yeah yeah yeah. wasn't living up to my potential and my parents reminded me of that every day right (laughs) well i didn't know what i wanted to be i didn't want to go down a path of you know learning to be an architect or a doctor or a lawyer or you know, whatever it was and put in those four years, which, you know, you're then, you're on that path Absolutely. And, um, and, and you don't come off it. And I didn't, I didn't like that idea of being locked in that early. Like I, so I actually, I, I went backpacking with a mate of mine um, just to try and clear our head and work out what we wanted to do. So with $700 in our pocket, we grabbed his van, we ripped out the, the chairs from the inside and created like a bed with boxes underneath it and then took off. Uh, went down south so we sort of traveled around we traveled all the east coast of australia down right down to melbourne and then we ran out of money yeah and it was 700 bucks wouldn't go far (laughs) (laughs) no actually i could tell you a story we were in sydney we just pulled into sydney uh we we were on george street we parked it in like a paid car park to go down and check our bank accounts because back then we didn't have iphones yeah right so we, we walked down checked our bank accounts i think i had 47 cents in the bank and my mate had like a dollar twenty, and that didn't even pay to get our car out of the car park, let alone the the lunch we were hoping to have. So he had um he had an auntie that lived in Sydney who 
sent us some money so we could get the car out, which got broken into while we were in the while it was in the car park, by the wow, way, okay. and had all our CDs stolen. So it wasn't a good day. Yeah. <laughs> so we went out to to stay with her, and um, but how did you get out of the car park? Well, yeah, she she over the phone rang rang them up and oh, wow. and paid the I think it was fifteen bucks back then. Yeah. To to get out, and that was super expensive. Now you know now yeah. it's like ninety bucks, but. Um, yeah, so she got us out. We drove to her place. We had enough petrol to get there, <laughs> and then she, you know, sort of gave us some money to get to get by. And we stayed with her for about four or five days. Mm-hmm. And during that time, um, I thought I'd check in. I'd applied for a credit card before I left, but it never came through. Like when I when I rang up to to check on it before before we left, that they said, "Oh, we can't find the paperwork." So I just went, "Oh, that was a failed attempt," and we left. Um, so I thought I'd just double check and I rang up to check my bank account balance and it said, would you like to check the balance of your credit card? And I went, yes, I would. And it went, you have three and a half thousand dollars available. And I, like I hung up so excited, I run in and I go, Becky, I've got three and a half grand. We need to get to a Westpac. Um, so we drove into the city and picked up my fresh credit card and then it was off. We were right. off. I think we drove to Canberra next after that. Okay. Yeah. Not worried about, you know, the fact that you're probably going to run out of money again or yeah, anything yeah. like that? Well, no, because yeah, for, a, for a, I think I was 20 then, you yeah. know, three and a half grand. I was like, we're good. Right. We're living. I think we stayed in the Waldorf that night in Canberra. Um, <laughs> which, which is? What's the Waldorf? Uh, it's like a, you know, f- I think it's a four or five star hotel. Oh, right. Yeah. In, in, yeah. in the center of Canberra. Yeah. And we're just like, nah, we're rich now. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to be sleeping in a van anymore. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so in the timeline between Canberra and Melbourne, that's when we used up the whole three and a half grand. We did some fruit picking along the way, but I realized I wasn't really good at fruit picking. Right. Yeah. So we ended up using up all the money and then we drove straight from Melbourne all the way back to the Gold Coast in one day because all we had was enough money for fuel <laughs> so we came home and then i think all up it was that we were only gone for about three and a half months but yeah. it was enough of an adventure to break break up school and yeah you know, what we were doing yeah so so what did you come back to the gold coast thinking you know where you you know you've got your three and a half grand in debt now um, yeah <laughs> i need to do something right yeah um, that's when i started to go look i'm gonna have to get my life in order right you know? Um, I came back, nothing had changed. I mean, okay, we're talking three and a half months, so it's not like, you know, it had been years, but mm-hmm. nothing had changed. So I looked at my job and where I was going and my prospects and all that, and it still was the same as it was before I left. And I just thought, that I think that's when subconsciously I started to look for something else, you know. Um, and yeah, and that came from Katie, my girlfriend at the time. Right. Yeah. Okay, so you weren't working in the, the nightclubs anymore at this stage? When I came back, I got the offer. They were right. like, hey well, we're not going to put you back into management, you know, because we filled that position. So you can go back and be a bartender now if you want. And I was like, meh. Yeah. Do I want to? Right. Yeah. No. Okay. So what um, What next? So uh, my girlfriend, Katie, she, um, who, who's now my wife, by the way. So we were high school sweethearts. Um, she came to me and said, I'm not going to, you know, live my life as a bartender. I want to do something. So she applied to join the army. And, uh, you know, I thought I was, you know, a James Bond wannabe or something like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll have a look at the pamphlets. And the pamphlets for the army make it look amazing. I was like, look at all this cool stuff that you're going to be doing. And so uh, to cover it up, I went, oh, well, how about I apply with you just to give you some support? You know, we can go through this together. And who knows, we might, you know, be in the army together. So she she agreed and um, we went through the whole process and 
did all the interviews and put in all the paperwork and went and got medical checks done and um, the final ones were like a, a recruitment interview and then a psych interview um, and it turned out that that Katie didn't get through and I did so um, yeah I, I can I can blame the fact that I went into the army solely on her right <laughs> <laughs> um, I still to this day sh- she thinks that she failed the psych exam wow. because um, there was a she's an animal lover right okay. she, she prefers animals over people right um, and they they asked her a question if you were driving along and you had to hit a pole, a person, or a dog, in what order would you hit them? Wow. And she goes, well, I'd hit the pole first, obviously, and then I'd hit the person, and then I'd hit the dog. Yeah. And th- apparently that's the wrong answer. Um, right. <laughs> and they said, what, why would you hit the person over the dog? And she said, well, at least I could explain to the person why I had to hit them, mm. but to a dog, he doesn't know. He just, mm. just got hit by a car. Yeah. I agree with it. I think that's good rationale. Yeah, yeah. like it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but um, she got a very big red cross on that one. Right. Um, <laughs> and you got that one right, did you? Well, I, I actually don't think I got that <laughs> question. Oh, okay. You know, I got those weird questions like if you're standing on the edge of a cliff, you know, do you ever get the feeling like you want to jump off? And, okay. you know, they ask you all these bizarre questions. Yeah. Can you remember some of them? Um, no, not really off the top of my head because okay. that, was, that was back in, what, uh, 2002? Okay. Yeah, I can't remember, but uh, it was it was pretty full on, and right. they they do you know hammer you on, making you know trying to delve in and find out if you've got any secrets in your past and have you done bad stuff and <laughs> yeah, I think one of the questions is you know do you watch porn really you know? and I think if I I heard from someone else the reason they ask that is to see whether you're embarrassed about it oh, you know? okay. and because if you if you you know, are embarrassed and you try and cover it up then that could be something someone can use against you in the future. Same when they talk about drugs and all those sorts of things. They just they just hammer you on it un- until you either tell them the whole story or, you know, they get a sense that you're covering something up. So, so they don't really care whether you're doing this stuff or not. They just want you to be... They just want you to own it almost. Yeah, pretty fair? much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Like, uh, they, just, they just want you to own it so that it can't come back against you. Yeah. I mean, certainly they don't want you to be doing drugs. Right. They've got a zero tolerance for that sort of stuff. Yeah. If you're sitting there in the interview going, I'd like to be an army officer, and, and they go, do you do drugs? Oh, yeah, all the time. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't th- I don't think you've got much chance. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. So so you get in and your girlfriend doesn't get in. Yeah. What's that um, conversation look like? Um, so at the time, she was quite upset. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think she blamed me a little bit for like, you know, she almost saw it as they took me over her. Which, really? Which wasn't the case. You know, yeah. We were in an intake of about 150 people. But it was the best thing. You know, she realizes now after seeing what we went through in the army that she never would have, you know, never would have enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. She hates bugs for one thing. And I'm like, you're in the army. Like you're sleeping out in the bush. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so she she she's actually happy she didn't get in. She doesn't do well taking direction either from mm-hmm. from people, which is sort of a key part of being in the military. Yeah, yeah. How do you go with that? Uh actually, I didn't do too bad. Right. Um, I I I have a problem when I think I have a better way, and I don't think they've thought it through. Yep. And and that's when I normally came unstuck in the military. But yeah. Okay. Um, no, I'm pretty good. It's it's actually a really good feeling to know that somebody else there's someone driving the ship and you've just got to do your job to the best right. possible right yep. so you know that inside your bubble of managing your troop of soldiers and and achieving your mission 
like that's your goal mm-hmm. and you know your boss above you has the the bigger picture and and it's just lay it over the top and you know as long as you do your job it'll yeah. all it'll all work out well right that's it's a pretty you know it's a, a lightens your light there's no anxiety there it's just you know i've just got to get in and get done what i need to get done and you make an interesting point about the uh, if you if you can see a better way of um, doing something, it kind of irritates you a bit. I can definitely relate to that. And and talking about the bars and nightclubs and stuff, I did when I was young. I did work at a bar, and mm. one thing I can still remember it, um, and it makes me think. You know, obviously I I wasn't a great um, staff. Well, I mean I turned up on time and that and hung around, but. Um, you know, I'm not the greatest employee, put it that <laughs> way. Uh, but I I remember that um, they used to sell, this was at a golf club and, you know, there's a lot of the clientele was quite mature, I suppose you'd say. Yeah. Um, and they had this cocktail menu and, you know, someone would order a cocktail maybe once, once a night, maybe twice a night. And because no one there knew how to really make them, like it would take one staff member, you know, up to an hour to, <laughs> go, and, to go and find all the ingredients that yeah. were supposed to be. You have to, have to go down to the kitchen and find the strawberries and whatever it was that was supposed to be in it. Yeah. And I remember getting so annoyed. I was like, take the cocktail menu off, you know, yeah. get rid of this thing. And, and it just would irritate me every shift that, because I don't know why, but like sometimes I would get stuck with being the guy who had to make it too yeah and so i'm saying it's taken a staff member an hour to make this i don't know what i'm doing it's probably no good you know by the time it gets to the customer i remember i used to always end up going well you can just have it for free because it's taken me you know an an hour to get you a drink that's longer than it took me to get lunch yesterday Um, (laughs) at the place it was like a 40 minute wait yesterday and i thought that was heaps but imagine a you know just just for a cocktail just for a drink yeah yeah. but uh, that used to irritate me so much that you know you're losing money you're giving away this thing in the end, really, because mm. none of us knew how to do it. None of us were any good at it. Um, for for what? Yeah. You know? they, they certainly wouldn't be making their money back on it. No, no. no. Losing money. Losing money on the labor, on the ingredients, blah, 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 on the brand because it would be shit and the yeah. know, customer would think it's terrible. So, yeah, I can I can definitely relate to the, to the if you can see a better way. And I couldn't handle that in the end. I'm just... I can't handle not being able to you know seeing that better way and then not being able to implement it so yeah. so did you, is that something that developed for you like did you were you always sort of a little bit irritated by that but you could it sounds like you could handle if someone you know if you had to do it well i think it was actually the opposite way around like i didn't put any stock in my own opinion right at, in, at an early age like I always thought other people knew more than me. Like there must be a reason why they're doing it that way. And maybe I'm, I'm just don't understand it or I'm not experienced enough. Um, and I think that was during my time in the army where, you know, you are responsible for, for things and you actually have to use a voice and you have to do things um, that you then started to go, actually the things I've been thinking about over the years and, and the times that I've wanted to say something, I should have because it was it was the right thing and now I'm being validated now by as I speak more and more people go oh actually yeah that's a, that's a great idea mm. and you go oh so I had to learn to trust my own inner thoughts and then I have the balls I guess to say it out loud and right. you know, take that but I think the thing to, the, the hard thing to learn is when you when you give your opinion about a better way of doing something and your boss turns around and goes thank you I've 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 looked into that we're still going to do it my way. Being able to swallow that and go, mm. yes, boss. Yeah. And and just do it. Uh, that's a skill I think you have to learn. 
have to learn. Yeah, right? I, I think, think everyone, you know, everyone at some point has to learn that. You know, to to be gracious and go, okay, you know, you're the boss. That's the way it works. If it fails, then you know, try again. You know, right? Try getting your point across again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you're in the um, you're in the army now. So you decide. Um, obviously, you decide to go ahead with it, and your, your girlfriend doesn't go yeah. ahead with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, what what was that like to start doing to, to start i don't know i don't know what the first thing you do is i got no no idea what the army is like but what's your first sort of week to month look like yeah well i i had applied um to the royal military college to become an officer um my, my grades at school had given me that ability um so i remember it was here in brisbane city on i think it might have been just down the road um we went into an office, we all stood there, all these young kids, and then they would hand you a document which you were signing a contract for four years. Oh, actually it was six for officers, six years. And you know, my parents are sitting on the other side of the room and you know, all smiling and taking photos and you sign that and then they walk you downstairs straight onto a bus and, and it's like, wave goodbye to your parents, that's it. You know, you're off. And then the bus drove us from uh, here to the airport, we flew to Canberra, and as we come off the plane in Canberra, there's these t- the two angriest drill sergeant type, you know, warrant officers standing there, you know, the full piece. And because I'd I'd been in bars, right? I was used to just sort of being jovial, and so I walked up to the who uh, became the scariest guy on you. I walked up to him <laughs> and I went, "G'day, I uh, I guess I'm here to to talk to you because I've joined I've joined the army and he just looked at me with this look like I will crush you with my thoughts, right? Um, and I went, I'm just gonna stand here quietly then, you know. And um, we did. We all just stood there quietly, not talking, until he went right on the bus and they took us into to RMC, oh, Royal Military College at RMC, um, where basic training starts. So. You go in there and you get all your equipment and they fit you out on all that and they fill out all the paperwork and there's a, there's a lot of preparation when joining the army and ad- admin type onboarding they had to do. And then they drove us out to Majura Range, which is just outside of Canberra, um, where we spent, I think, the next three months out there in a, like, I guess it's like a mini mini sort of city area there where you just, you, you've got shacks where you sleep in and... They break you up into sections of, of nine to ten people. Um, and that's when you start your basic training out there in the bush. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know they say uh, the army breaks you down and then builds you back up? Like, I can guarantee that's 100% what happened. And right. I, yeah. yeah. So, so, how do they break you down? Um, the You know, the, the discipline at that bo- point is just full on. Um, I remember I almost got charged at one point because I did like a mock salute to a sergeant and it was it was bizarre i was in the breakfast line and i i was going to you know i think it was bacon and eggs right and i grabbed two eggs and the sergeant was behind me and he goes oi staff cadet only one egg and just it was just a habit i just sort of went you know and gave him a wink and a bit of a a bit of a tip of the cap wow you know if you want to see an angry sergeant like do something like that. <laughs> so I got dragged out of there. I didn't get breakfast that morning, and I just got you know, and we we call it in the army it's chest poking, right? So they've they've got a hand that that's very straight, and they're just pointing it at your chest as they scream at you, and um yeah, and you go okay, this is a whole new world for me, right? So like the basic thing is you know in the morning they wake you up at you know five thirty with you know a big scream and everyone gets out of bed and then you've got fifteen minutes 
to make your bed perfect, you know, like in the movies, you know, the proper corners, you could almost bounce a coin off it, right? Right. You got to make your bed, you've got to run to the other side of the camp, shave, or shower and shave, but uh, you never had time to shower. You had to shave and then run back, get into uniform and be standing at attention outside your, outside your, you know, section hut. At quarter to six. Yeah, yeah, in 15 minutes. And there's sergeants the whole way along yelling at you because you're not allowed to run to the toilets. You have to, you have to march. Uh, but okay. you're going, I've got like three minutes to yeah. shave and to get dressed and I can't run. And they're like, yeah. slow down. You know, <laughs> and then at the same time, they're going, hurry up. You know, you just you like it. It's a, it's a different world. Um, so there was a point I reckon at about the probably the five week mark that I was I was on breakdown mode. I was like, I get me out of here. I can't mm-hmm. do this. I think it was um, there was a call into my parents and I was just breaking down. And um, yeah, I actually at one point, you know, called Katie and said, what what, what lie are we going to construct to get me out of here? Like ring up the army and tell them that you've got cancer and that I have to come and look after you. Like mm. I was I was willing to try anything. Right. Um, and it wasn't until my brother-in-law, so Katie's, um, Katie's brother, he was in the Navy at the time. And so he, I spoke to him and he was like, mate, you've just got to suck it up, you know, just do it. And, and I did. And I was glad at the end of that three months, I just got a whole new wind. Like I knew that I was now fit, strong. I knew the basics you know, I knew weapons and, you know, knew how to march and knew field craft to a basic level. And I was like, I've actually achieved something now. Like, right. And, yeah. I, and, and then the way the army does is they give you like, there's always a carrot on a stick in front of you, you know, get through this hard bit and then you'll get these extra privileges, you know, and then you start to enjoy that. And then they're like, get through this bit and then you get a promotion. And then, so there's always, a, there's always something else. Mm-hmm. And so from going from someone at the five-week mark in army that was willing to do whatever, in, you know, and even at that point, I reckon probably break the law to get out of the army. Yeah. Um, you know, I ended up spending 14 years in the army and sort right. of retired in 2014 as a major. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it just the career just sort of happened. Like there was no point that I was like, oh, when's the six years up? I'm out. You know, it just three months became 14 years. Wow. And, and so you got woken up. I just want to know you got woken up by a scream. Oh, so what? So th- they um, um, they had a word. So it was Alamein, you know, from uh, military history, uh, El Alamein. Um, so they would call Alamein because that was what our company, our staff cadet company was called. Um, and they'd say, stand to Alamein. And that you, the second you heard that, you're out of bed, right? And to this day, if someone screamed that out, you know, my heart would race and right. I'd, be, I'd be like, out of bed, like what's going on? Yeah. So you can imagine Katie's had a lot of fun with that over the years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you get through the three months. Um, what does sort of the next few years look like? Are you still doing this? Is it still that strict and disciplined? And Yeah, definitely. Know? So um, yeah. officer training is 18 months at Royal Military College. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they break it up into three six-month groups. Uh, and they call it classes. So third, you start in third class as a staff cadet, uh, and then second class, um, you get more privileges. You're at the next sort of level of learning, and then you've got first class where they're really hammering home the leadership, the you know how to run thirty troops, um, or how to how to lead a platoon of thirty troops, and mm-hmm. and and they try to then work out where your specialty is going to be in army. So you're going to be infantry or artillery or a pilot or yeah um and then at the end of rmc if you if you're lucky enough to graduate and you know a, a lot of them don't you know i think we started with 100 and 
57 in my class and by the end of it there was less than 80 oh, right. I think you know so a lot of people drop out along the way mm-hmm. um, yeah and then at the end of that that's when you get your commission with, as a lieutenant and you actually go into the army to lead proper Australian soldiers which is you know that's a it's a big deal mm-hmm. yeah and it's, a, it's an honour once you get to that point because right. up until then you've never actually led soldiers you've yeah. just led your classmates and as they've pretended to be soldiers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> is there any fun ever? Because, you know, I, I'm, I'm hearing this and I'm just imagining this environment where everyone's just angry all the time, you know, and it's this, you know, you, you sort of, it, it sounds like you'd be walking on eggshells all the time, like, don't do this wrong, don't do this wrong, don't do this wrong. Uh, no, because um, once you know where, where it is, we call it, you know, your left and right of arc and that's a that's a, you know, shooting term, but... Once you know your boundary and what you should be doing and what the proper process is, then it becomes really fun. Like, okay. you're, you know, you are doing something amazing. You're running a platoon attack over complex terrain and, you know, the, the adrenaline's rushing and, you know, or even just, even just barracks life, you know, and what you're doing. I mean, you've got all of your mates with you. You've gone through hell with them in training. Um, you know, when you get to know your soldiers, you know, they, they're, they're part of your family, right? And... Um, so there is a lot of fun that you have at that point, but it, I mean, it's a serious business, you know, oh, yeah. national defense, it's a serious business. So you, you are very much ingrained with the work hard, play hard, mm. you know, mentality of look, let's not stuff around, let's get this done. And once we've, once we've nailed it and we've, you know, we've, we're faster, we're more accurate, we're better, we're, we're trained in a new area. That's when we can all go down and, you know, hang out and right. we'll go to the boozer as we yep. used to say, when you go down and have a few <laughs> beers after work and... <laughs> That's uh, that's where the, you know the fun happens. But yeah, it was. I, I don't regret my time in the army. Like I loved it. Mm-hmm. It was it was perfect, and it was the it was the perfect thing to switch me from the wrong track that I was going down, to you know, to make me sort of or to build me up to the person I am today. And and what do you mean by the wrong track? So when I was when I was in bars, you can imagine, you know, uh, living in nightclubs, I became almost like a vampire i didn't see the daylight you know you would you would work from sort of nine or ten at night through to five in the morning mm-hmm. and that was your work day mm-hmm. and so then you'd party early in the morning from say five till you know nine or ten right you try and get some sleep yeah get up go back and do it all over again so it's a it's a completely different lifestyle mm-hmm. and you know in that lifestyle there's all everything that goes along with it you know excessive drinking excessive yep. partying drugs yep. you know you you're you're mingling with the wrong people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that sort of lifestyle can attract a certain type of person, yep. you know. And um, I, I found myself continually moving the line of what I thought was acceptable. Right. You okay. know, like uh, my parents brought me up well and, and yep. I knew what right and wrong was. Um, and I've always sort of trusted my gut. But the more you're in that environment and the, the more you just are oh, in this situation, that's going to be okay. And then mm-hmm. that's where you've set the new line. And then the line continually gets pushed to the point where you go, hang on, how did I get myself into this situation? Yeah. Um, and it took it took joining the army to, you know, completely break my mental cycle on that and, you know, switch me back on. Right. Okay. And how long can people, uh, just out of interest, how, many pe- how long do you reckon people can survive in that environment for? Because it sounds like you were there maybe a couple of, couple of years. Yeah. How long, how long do people live that lifestyle for? Oh no, there are people out there like this is legitimately their career, and I don't put that down at all. Yeah. I just, uh, for me, 
I didn't have the self-control to t- to treat it as a career yep. and a profession mm-hmm. without all of the fun stuff that went along yep. with it. Yeah. Um, I still have people that I know that, you know, were working in those clubs with me back then that are now still still in the hospitality industry, still mm-hmm. working for, you know, in nightclubs. They're obviously not, most of them aren't still just bartending, but, yep. um, you know, and they, they lead good lives and they're happy and healthy and, you know, all power to them. I just, I yeah, yeah. If, if I'm in that environment, I'm going to do the bad, you know, yeah, you're I just, gonna, the you're self-control wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So let's, um, let's go back to the, the army now. So d- you, you said you were, you know, you trained for a long time. Did you then do any, you know, did you get deployed anywhere or? Yeah. So in 2006, I was, I was lucky enough to be deployed to Iraq. So that was uh, a six-month deployment over Christmas okay. from 2006 to 2007. Why do you say lucky? Uh, because in the army, you spend years honing your craft. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm not. You're not talking about oh, I've you know I've spent years learning to kill people, and now I want to go and do it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like that. You're you know, at the time I was um, the target acquisition troop commander, where we had uh, radars that tracked incoming rockets. And our job was to detect where these rockets were coming from, you know, um, and then analyze the, the shards of the bits of the rocket and how it hit the ground and what angle it went in so that we could develop intelligence about where they were shooting from and then d- work out their patterns to hopefully prevent it from happening, right? So um, we, we had trained in that and I trained in the theory and you can only practice so much out on exercise that once you finally get to go and do it, you know, imagine a doctor that spends 10, 15 years training to, to do surgery on someone or mm-hmm. and then they finally get the opportunity. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's what you're there for. Right. You know, so I was lucky enough and I was lucky enough that I had an amazing uh, group of soldiers that were with me. Um, I had an amazing boss who was very, very supportive and, um, so yeah, when we got to go there, we had a we had an important job to do, and um, it was surreal. You know, I can I liken it back to almost um, like a video game. It's there there are times where things happen and you see things, and your brain just doesn't register it as real, like right. that, that it's happening. But um, okay, so I'll give you an example. When the first rocket hit the base, um, it was. Uh, it was just after Christmas on 2006. So we'd had all our Christmas celebrations. I think it was the day after, actually, day after Christmas. And I was, o- I was in the headquarters, and w- the headquarters was just a wood hut surrounded by big concrete bricks. That was a big concrete walls, so I guess, to, to protect you from rockets and things. And when it hit, like, the whole thing goes, you know, mm. big explosion. There's, there's sand coming down from the, the top, and my heart just jumped out of my throat. Like, I'm like, this is, this is my job. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I was all over the place. And I'm like, I've got to write reports. I've got to, you know. And all I remember is my boss come in, he put his hand on my shoulder. Like, he didn't, I didn't look up at him. He just put his hand on my shoulder and said, just take two deep breaths. You know how to do this. And just focus on what you got to get done. And it was like that just calm came over me. And I was like, right, I'm, you know, I'm acting with purpose now, but I'm not freaking out like I mm-hmm. was. And, and people react differently so the first time they come under fire like there are some people who can't cope and they're sort yeah. of sitting in the corner going you know in in the fetal position and there are that's other, me yeah, yeah <laughs> there are others who um you know just it it doesn't phase them they they're like yep i've got this i'm doing it and then there was i guess where i was in the middle which is this is surreal i've been looking forward to this now but now it's happened i've got to do something and it, 
it just took a little bit of that hand on my shoulder to go look focus mm. and then i was able to get my job done right i can i can remember um a, a specific time when it, not i wasn't uh, in the army obviously but i was scuba diving once and a similar thing happened to me where i started my goggles started filling up with water yeah. and i'm you know six seven eight meters down whatever it is you are oh, wow. i start flipping out i'm gonna die you know <laughs> I don't, i'm not gonna be able to see anything what i'm gone see ya you yeah know? and i'm just all over the place and the the instructor just looks at me and just put his hands up to his eyes and sort of did that look at me type of thing yeah calm me down yeah um didn't die <laughs> and i was able to get the uh, water out of the goggles but um yeah that that moment where you kind of just go into to panic mode yeah and then if someone's there just to reassure you you know it's gonna be cool mate that's just right chill yeah uh is yeah it's needed sometimes yeah that's right um and that's why i'm always thankful to that boss for doing that because to me that was a life lesson at that exact moment um and yeah that got us through and look we had a we had a very i would say effective deployment um my team did a great job of analyzing from from a completely different perspective analyzed everything about the way that these rocket attacks were coming in and working closely with our u.s allies over there and restructuring our patrol programs and things we were able to to cut out you know or, or dra dramatically reduce the number of rockets that were coming in that were you know that were killing people so yeah. that w we as a troop came out of that feeling like we'd been successful and we felt bonded together and um <laughs> as a as a troop i think we we did up you know every troop when they come off um deployment they tend to get like a t-shirt or something made up um we decided that t-shirts were now cliched so one of my my bombardiers he comes back and he got us all boxer shorts okay so, so we had deployment boxer <laughs> shorts with the idea being that no matter where you are at any time if you ran into another person from that deployment you, if you dropped your trousers and you were wearing those boxer shorts, anyone who didn't have them on would have yep. to buy drinks for, right. the, for the night, right? So we wore those boxer shorts a lot. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So so you go um, and you do, you know, do, do how many deployments did you end up doing in the army? So I did one to Iraq. Yep. Um, and then I deployed to Afghanistan in 2008, 2009. Right. And that was about a seven, eight month deployment. Okay. Um, yeah. So when you look back on, you know, your time in the army, um, you know, a lot of training and discipline and whatnot by the sounds, but also, you know, a couple of deployments. What what do you look back on and go, you know, it taught me X, Y, Z. What what are the what are the lessons you took out of your time? Um the the first one was uh I mean obviously the the key one was leadership and management, um, how to you know, lead a team of people to achieve an objective, how to be mission focused, you know, take take stock of the environment around you, any external players you have, what is your goal, what are the options to achieving your goal within the limitations of your resources and then how to effectively implement that and maintain on plan. Well, that's not right because no plan, we have a saying in the army, no plan survives first contact with the enemy because mm -hmm. something will always change and then yep. that plan, you just have to wing it and... Yep. But well, that's the same with business. It's no business plan survives first contact with the customer, right? Right. That's yeah. exactly it. And and that's what I find is that a, a lot of the stuff that I learn in the military is is uh, applicable directly to business. Yeah. You know, you think about it. We we know what resources we have in our business. We mm -hmm. know where we want to get to. What are our KPIs and our goals? 
we know that our you know enemy are our competitors out there and and the environmental factors are the markets and what other you know what are the customers doing and what are the trends um so how do you develop a plan with what you've got and then implement it to best effect being flexible and agile enough to stay on target for your mission but also maneuver around the obstacles right yeah so it's quite it's actually quite a good metaphor for business i think yeah absolutely so so you know on this podcast we often talk about um you know the tough times that people go through in their career and you know people people would probably listen to this and go you know the army has got to be some of the tough times you've been through in your career but i understand you don't necessarily think that was the toughest time in your career no what what when someone says you know well if if they have, but I'm saying it to you now, when someone says, "Tell us about the toughest times you've been through in your career," what would you? What do you think? Um, oh, there's uh, there's a lot of different different levels, I guess. I mean, you know, when I was away on deployments in the army, the w- what we experienced over there, what I didn't feel like were my tough times. There were soldiers mm-hmm. out there who were you know dealing with a lot more than me, and I mean, I never came back with any PTSD or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but the hard time for me was my wife, Katie, being at home. When, when I was away in Iraq, uh, we decided that she would try to be as independent as possible, right? So she set up her own life. She became fully independent. She didn't rely on me for anything. And then I come back after seven or eight months and just expect to fit back into what my life was. But that wasn't my life anymore. Katie had her life mm. and I was now invading that life, you know, and there was, that was quite a tough period to work out where I fit back in at home. Okay. Um, even to the point of if I disciplined the dog, she'd, you know, she'd be going, what are you doing? You're right. disciplining my dog. You know, it's yeah. like, hang on. So th- those sorts of things were stressful. We fixed that with Afghanistan. And, and while it was a lot harder for both of us because we made a purposeful um, sort of pact to remain attached to each other and to be reliant on each other. So while I was away, it was a lot harder. But when I came back, I just, you know, we just slipped straight back into the way we were. And um, So that was, I mean, that was a tough time for mm-hmm. us. Um, in terms of uh, business tough times, it wasn't necessarily the army. It was um, the decision to start this business. Like that was a, that was a really tough time because I, you know, throughout my life, I'd had a number of, you know, entrepreneurial ideas um, that I never implemented. Uh, and when this one came along, I knew that this, this was the one I had to have a crack at. But at the time, I was working an amazing job. So I was um, a national director of strategy and business development for a US aerospace engineering firm. Fantastic fantastic company um the owners were just super supportive lovely people i was very well paid i worked from home on the gold coast and just traveled wherever i needed to like my job was amazing Mm -hmm. you know and i loved it and then when i had this idea i had that conflict of you know i'm very comfortable in my life this this company i'm with is so supportive that they're they're they've got given me a career path you know and all that sort of thing yet this idea i like i can't I can't let go of the idea. So taking all of that information and then going, all right, I'm going to sell my house, which I'd bought from my war money, uh, my deployment money. Um, I'm going to sell that. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to put everything that I've earned in my 36 years to this idea. And if it fails, 
I've basically reset my progress back to, right. you yeah. know, when I was with my parents. Yeah. Like I would have lost everything. Yeah. That was, that was hard. That was hardest, I think, mentally on, on yeah. do I do that? Yeah. So, so how did you justify that? I mean, that, that sounds, you know, you're, you're throwing, you're throwing everything at it basically. Yeah. You know, how long did it, you know, when did you first go, I'm um, thinking about doing this and to the point where you actually go, I'm doing this. How long did that take? And, and well, how, how did you justify it yeah. to yourself? So the way I justified it was, look, let's just take small steps. I'm not going to jump in wholeheartedly right from the start. I'm going to see how this goes. So I had the idea and I wrote the business plan and I went and took it to a mentor of mine. And he is normally a very critical type of person, yet he was like, this is great. Like, right. I think this will work. Okay. And I, and I went, he just, you know, are you patronizing me? Like tell me you know he's like no i think so i think it'll work so i went okay so then i went and took it to a number of people in industry that i really respect and went what would you think about this and their their responses were like well now i'm pissed and i went what and they go well i I didn't think of it first (laughs) you know and all of the walls or the blockages that i thought would come up they just didn't right um and i was doing this you know in my spare time i was still working for for the company i was with um, like I said, they were very, very supportive. Um, they gave me enough flexibility to work when I needed to uh, because they were in the US, you know, so a lot of the stuff that, that we did with them was in the mornings. Um, so they were supportive of me doing this as sort of a side hustle. Um, so I did that. I s- and then I um, actually I went to my mentor and said, hey, you love it so much, back me, like give mm. me the money. And mm. he went, all right, I will. Wow. So I went, okay, well, let's get – uh, and so I systems engineered the whole tech – you know, and wireframed it and I knew exactly how it was going to look. And we took it to an IT company and they went, uh, yeah, that'll be a, a million dollars what? To, to build. And I, wow. uh, I, di- I didn't know anything then about lean, yeah. you know, lean development principles and, you yep. know, or the st- even the startup culture. I, I hadn't immersed myself in it. Yep. I was just a guy with an idea. Yep. Um, and then, uh, I d- I, so he was like, look, you know, I love your idea, but there's no way I'm giving you a million dollars. So I was back to square one. I thought oh, I'm never going to get this done. And yeah. um, I had heard of uh, Sebastian Eckersley Maslin from Blue Chile. Right. He was an ex, um, ex-Navy ex officer, a Navy engineer. And I thought, well, if anyone can give me some advice, then it, it's going to be an ex-military person who now runs a startup accelerator. Mm-hmm. So I got, I got a meeting with him over lunch and um, pitched him my idea and he went, all right, we'll accept you in, into the fold. And um, I went, well, yeah, but how am I going to get it done? I've got no money. And, and they're like, well, that's what we're here for. Like, we're here to help you, you know, raise money. And we're here to help you validate your idea and, you know, crack the market and support you throughout it. And I was like, what? There's these things, there these people out there are just going to help me, yeah. you know? And it was, that was that, you know, thing that I needed to learn in order to go, hey, this is actually going to happen. So... Yeah, I joined Blue Chili and started the validation process and again, just took it step by step. I was expecting every day that I was going to find out that one thing that meant that that I didn't know that was going to just destroy it all. Really? You know, you always think, oh, maybe there's a law out there or there's just a way that they've done this that I've never experienced before or, you know, and they just, it never came. Right. Um, So it got to the point where I had my MVP, it was up and running, um... I was still working my job because the idea being that this would be automatic all online and um, 
but it it took off faster than I thought and um, I realized that I either have to do one or the other yeah like, I, I, I'm either doing the business or I'm staying in my job and okay. so that's when Katie and I had that conversation of right are we doing this yeah and then explaining to her well I'm gonna have to sell a house yeah you know because I can't I won't have a job I can't pay myself for a couple of years mm-hmm. um, but yeah she was very very supportive and I think at that point she'd been with you know s- s- along the journey with me for that six months where she'd seen how excited I was and she'd seen that everyone was supportive even yep. the market and my advisors and mentors and so she was like you're right you have to do it yeah you know and so when you explain all that it, it doesn't really sound that um, that crazy at all like you know you've um, you've got validation at this stage you know and you it sounds like my first assumption was when you said you sold your house I assumed that you sold it to put the money into the business but did you sell it to just keep, keep just, us going yeah, yeah just look after you personally for a couple of years yeah well because right. we got two young kids so yeah. um at the moment they're seven and four mm-hmm. um so yeah young family you know we had a nice house. like we were, we were exactly where we wanted to be in life at that time yeah and i was telling her that i want to undo all of that mm-hmm. let's throw the hell mary yeah <laughs> and let's let's put let's put our kids you know education at risk and let's put yeah. our house on the line and you know um, because of an idea I had one night while I was sitting at my desk. Right. And so it, in terms of it being a hard time, it was just a hard decision. Yeah, And it absolutely. was a hard time that we both were going backwards and forwards and, mm-hmm. you know, it took a couple of months for us to come around to the idea and, and then it was like, okay, well, let's lay everything out on the table. Mm-hmm. Like, worst case, what's going to happen? And we yep. did that. And then we went, okay, well, how likely do we think worst case is going to be? And, you know, and then we decided to take the plunge. So yeah, I don't think I could have done it without a supportive partner right there that sort of believed in me enough to yeah have a crack wow okay so it, it sounds like you're doing um i think tim ferris speaks about this a lot um like this sort of fear setting type of exercises where you're like what's the worst case scenario did someone tell you to do that or did you guys sort of um determine that to be the the best approach yeah no i'm um th- i think that's katie's personality very much so right. she's like if I think worst case and plan for worst yeah. case, then I'm always going to be covered. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, the army also teaches you to do that sort of stuff. Like you okay. don't just go into anything always hoping for the best. Yeah, you've got contingency plans for the worst. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I think I just came naturally to say, right. you know, all right, well, here's the best thing that could happen, mm. and here's the worst thing that could happen, and where do we think we sit in that? Yeah. And what would our plan be if it slips below this point? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's 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 sort of. Well, I, I can remember when I first started doing thinking like that and doing that worst case scenario type of thinking. It's it's you know I don't think I'm overstating it. It's it's life changing because you, mm. you 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 can protect against the the worst case. You know, if you can protect against the worst case, mm. what do you have to lose? That's right. Yeah. And, and and like I said, in the army planning, when you're looking at what the enemy, what you think the enemy will do, yeah, you you work out what their best case and worst case is, right. and then you plan on the worst. Mm. You know and yeah um that's yeah so it all it all just sort of lined up and yeah that became uh became sort of the way that we do things right okay and so um what about the the journey from from that point on until now what's that what's that look like has that been smooth sailing no <laughs> no, no it hasn't and i can tell you that i was arrogant enough to think that it would be you know you hear all the stories 
you know, people going, oh, you're going to have roller coasters, you're going to have ups and downs. You, there are going to be times where you don't want to get out of bed, you're that anxious. And and I was like, yeah, not that, they've never met me, mate. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, and so, yeah, I, I went into it with 100% confidence that it was all going to work. Um, and yeah, it, it didn't. So and initially we focused um, on small to medium businesses because they were the easiest to get into and engage and yep. they had sh- short decision cycles whereas mm-hmm. an enterprise you've got to go through 50,000 layers of bureaucracy yeah so we started with the small businesses but we soon realized that um, the contracts they were putting on to the site that they needed filled were speculative contracts so they were in support of tenders you know uh, the government puts out a requirement and says we need this done and then companies have to put proposals together to send in and say this is how we're going to do it with these people um, and <coughs> small businesses, unlike enter- enterprises, can win these based on their reputation and their size and, you know, the fact that they'll find the people if they have to. Whereas a small business has to show, I've got this specialist and I've got this specialist mm. and we're gonna, they're going to do this and that and that's how it's all going to complement into a team. And one of the things you can't do is put forward a team and then when you win it, then go, oh, okay, now we're just going to switch them out with these people. Right, you, yeah. know, you, can't, you can't do that and <laughs> no one likes it. So. Okay. All the small businesses were coming to us saying, great, now we've got a way of finding the, the talent we need to win this type of stuff. So uh, we were helping them put together their teams on tenders and bringing companies together to collaborate to, to win this bigger work. But our commercial model was set up as a success-based model. So mm. we were doing all this work and then through no fault of our own, the customers weren't winning it, whether it was that they didn't position themselves well or they didn't write a good tender or who knows. Yeah. Um, you were taking on all the risk, by the sounds, basically. Yeah, so yeah. we were doing all this work, and I, I can tell you from, um, what was it, our first seven or eight months, we made $5,000. Okay. You know, and that yeah. was, we had we had companies. Like, I, when, I, when I launched, I had 15 corporate clients, and then that grew to about, you know, um, 60 or 70 corporate clients during that time. So it wasn't like I, I didn't have the demand. Mm-hmm. It was just, no, it wasn't working, and I thought... I, I went through a really dark period where I was like, this isn't going to work. No matter what I do, it's not going to work. Um, and yeah, I think it was... Uh, so in that point, Katie was now working on the business because there was so much work to do that mm-hmm. she, you know, she specializes in back-end, the, the running the back-end of businesses. Okay. Um, you know, in accounts and admin and operations and things like that. So I asked her to come and help me because there was too much for me to do. Um, so we were both in it full-time now, so there was no money coming into the house. And we weren't earning any revenue, even though we were working our butts off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went through a real dark period of, you know, heavy anxiety, um, self-doubt, doubt yep. in the business. Uh, and I can't, I can't remember, I can't recall who actually said this to me, but they said, right, are you giving up or are you, or are you gonna pull on your big boy pants and have a look at this situation and fix it? And I went, oh, okay, well, Big boy pants are on. Um, so we look, we broke it all down and we looked at it and why wasn't it working and we realized that it was because of this speculative contract issue. We needed more contract in hand work where the, the client had won it. Yeah. They, they had the job. They mm-hmm. just needed the people to help them do it. Right. And so we thought, well, how can we do that? Because the enterprises are the ones winning all the contracts. Yeah. And um, so we then targeted enterprises, you know? So I went and met with, you know, big four consulting firms. And I went and met with the big end of town and said, look, this is what I'm doing. Just give me a shot. 
like mm-hmm. let me trial it and while some of them take a long time like you know, we normally say it'll take about 12 months from the time you start talking to an enterprise to the time they're actually operating yeah there were some that uh were willing to give it a shot i mean and went yeah okay you know and with a, within a couple of months we had sort of three or four enterprises on there yeah and then they started trading and they put uh, put their contracts on and all of a sudden it was it was in may so yeah may 17 all of a sudden everything just flipped right we were mat- we were still doing the same level of work but all of a sudden it was coming into contracts and we were starting to get revenue and right you know our clients were winning winning yep. work and then it all just that was the clicking point mm-hmm. but there was a real dark six month period there for a while until that happened i can imagine so so during that time the the six months that uh you know you're putting in a lot of effort it's not quite you know turning out the way you want it to i'm just interested if you feel like you look back on that and were you sort of on the hamster wheel a lot there doing stuff and you weren't taking the time to stop and really reflect on what was working and what wasn't? Mm. Or is that in, is that a poor assumption to make? No, no, I think that's an a- accurate assumption because uh, at the time then it was only me in the business and Katie part-time pretty much because she was looking after the kids, part-time doing the back-end stuff just to keep it ticking over. So everything was on me. And because I was new to the startup scene, you know, I was going to meetups all the time and, you yeah. know, networking events and i was going to any speaking event i could get uh i was get i was out doing so i was i was i've made myself too busy you know so during the day i was actually trying to do the operations of the business yep at the same time trying to do business development to bring on new clients yeah and then uh, and then also trying to build my profile externally with no one really to lean on to run the business while i was gone Mm -hmm. you know so it, w- it was just a complete lack of time, you know? And, yeah. and, and when you're talking about your concept to the customers and your, you know, and, and to potential clients and they're all going, oh, this is fantastic. You know, you're getting all this positive feedback from the market, yet you know internally something's broken because yeah. it's not earning money, yeah. you know? And so it was, it was, it was a confusing. I think that's why it took me so long to get to that point. Right. You know, you're getting the positive feedback. So you're like, well, every, everything is telling me this should be working. Mm. Why isn't it? And, um, there was that period where I just decided to crawl into my shell and rather than actually take the time to focus and go, something's broken, let's fix it. Let's right. analyze this. And yeah. Yeah. So, so was it, was it just a case of one day you, you sat down or two days or a week or whatever it was and did analyze what was going on? Um, yeah. Yeah. That was it. I just, okay. I said to Katie, right, this is it. It was one night. Um, we ended up staying up for most of the night and just sort of broke everything down, looked mm-hmm. at every single contract that we'd, matched and every single company that we'd helped why didn't that win like why didn't they win is it something that we did did Mm. we match them to the wrong quality well no because you know they selected that person and they got them on the bid and they were complimentary and and then it was like yeah it was just that epiphany of hang on a sec you know everything here is about tender support and Mm. we're not here to do tender support we're here to do matching the talent for when and where it's needed yeah so that's the light bulb moment the that was stop doing that, w- support. that was the pivot yeah. I, I, w- I don't even say pivot like we didn't change the way we did like we didn't change the product mm-hmm. we didn't change our messaging we changed our focus on business development yeah um but that was that missing link yeah and and since since we cracked that it's just being yeah in hard to keep up yeah yeah okay so that's 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 fascinating i've, I've uh, recently um got a, a coach myself for 
I don't. I was not even a coach, just someone I talk to every two to three weeks. Mm. I go and see him, and that time for me is forced reflection, and it's just the power that has to stop and actually look at what's going on. Um, has I think it's going to save me months because uh, you know I was I was the type of person that could go, you know I really wouldn't want to I didn't re- didn't really want to analyze what was I wanted to know sort of but I didn't really want to stop and analyze it because I don't know might find something I don't want to find or yeah, you yeah. know, <laughs> um, but yeah that's um I, I don't think you can understate the the power of that is that that forced reflection and okay what actually is going on here I'm going to mm. look at it I'm going to face it and I'm going <laughs> to right I'm going to make some changes. As yeah. a result of that, and 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 that was yeah, that was the other thing to learn, which was um, don't be afraid to look at how badly you're doing. Mm. You know, like actually embrace that. Yeah, um, and and that's true when you bring on employees. Employees tend to go, I want to show the business how well I'm doing and how much I'm growing and everything else. And when the conversations I'm asking them are about the times that it didn't work, or yeah. you know, they start to think, oh, they're attacking me. They're trying yeah. to they're trying to tell me I'm not doing my job properly. And it's like, well, no, no, like I think you're doing your job great. But if we can focus on these areas and w- work out why that's happening that way, then you'll be even better, you know? So, and, and you've got to do that with your own business. Um, mm. While it looks all shiny on the surface, be able to turn around and go, okay, well, wh- I've got to find the part that's not optimal yeah. and the part that's not working. Even if it's not staring me in the face, yeah. go searching for it. Because mm-hmm. like, that's, the, that's the goal that will yeah. you know, make everything run smooth. Right. And so you've got employees now? Yeah, yep. we've, um, we just hired two employees this month or one last month one this month and we're now searching for another two right so it looks like uh, in the next three months we'll have grown from um, two staff up to about sort of seven to nine cool so it's it's fast growth now katie is struggling because she's now our coo and and co-founder yeah because we realized that she was the glue holding all this together while i was out doing doing ceo stuff yeah um and i went why aren't you know because i said oh i'm gonna need an operations manager and she's like oh I'm going to have to teach them all this. And she went through and she was trying <laughs> to tell me everything she'd have to teach everyone else. Yeah. And I went, why do I need a COO? Like you, yeah. you're doing this, yeah. you know, customers love you. Yeah. You know, you, you know this better than anyone else. You're more efficient than anyone else. All right. You're COO, you know, and, and then, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about, oh, are you a single founder or have you got a co-founder? And a lot of investors want to see you have a co-founder and things like that. And, it it wasn't that we it wasn't we didn't make Katie a co-founder for any reason other than I went, why aren't you? You know, yeah. you you were here the second I walked out of my office, yeah, and I was jumping around like a crazy monkey, going, <laughs> I've got this this idea, it's awesome, yeah. And <coughs> you know, she was there from that. She was my sounding board for that. She worked through it all with me. She ended up coming in to help, and then she became the core of the business. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not I'm not going to take you know credit for this because it wouldn't have happened without her so mm-hmm. yeah now so now she's she's co-founder so as a we, we complement each other very very well you know I'm, yeah. I'm more of the outgoing forward facing you know ideas person and she is the one who can take a crazy idea and make it executable yeah. and and put all of the the attention to detail into it to make it actually work right the scene so very very complimentary team so awesome Okay, and and so now you're 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 trying to build this culture where, by the sounds that you know it's it's very open and you know it's about, you know, just being honest. No one no one needs to protect their desk. You know, just no. just be honest. Like we'll, we'll talk about what's going well, what's not going well. Yeah. Um, how do you how have you gone about building that? Because you know I've seen a lot of situations, and it's probably more common in 
you know, it's pretty common, I think, in a lot of businesses where, you know, people will not engage with what's not going well or what they're not doing well, um, big fear of, you know, getting fired and all that type mm. of thing. But it is so when you're in those situations where everyone's just saying, you know, I'm not doing this that well, or I've got to work on this and everyone's being open about their strengths and their weaknesses. Mm. It's, it's pretty incredible. Like, and, uh, I think the things you can do then, are, you know, you can do so much more then because everyone's just calling it how it is. Yeah. How have you gone about engineering, um, that type of a, a culture? Um, so we set that very early on in our values. So, uh, one of the, values in 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 our platform and how we integrate you know interact with our clients is we are 100 percent transparent and honest you know um we're going to tell you exactly what we think and if if it's good or bad and because we don't think in business there's any room for trying to cover things up or just to you know make someone feel better about themselves it's either going to work or it's not you know so we were very transparent we're very honest um so when we were searching for our employees, that's the sort of things that we're looking for. Um, we're looking for someone who's humble in the sac- in the fact that they can be confident in saying, "We did this," rather than "I." You know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want anyone who's in this for their own glory. I want yeah. someone who gets my vision because this has this is a, you know, I believe has a massive social and economic impact. That's what we're striving for. We're not striving. So that you can win employee of the month. Yeah. You know, we're, yeah. we're here to achieve a much bigger goal. And so that the people that we've hired are the people who get it, who mm. got as excited about the idea that as we were talking as, as I was. Mm-hmm. And um, we also love an underdog, right? So we, we haven't gone out looking for that person who's done it, you know, a thousand times and has held up on a pedestal. And, you know, we, we've gone to those people that we've seen potential in that so Alison our, our director of strategy and business development I knew her when I was uh, in the army and I knew her when I was out in industry and I saw that she was just one of those people that was amazingly talented but a hundred percent overlooked by the organization she was right. working for okay um, to the point where she was doing most of the work and just getting zero recognition and and you know and I thought She's amazing. So I was trying to get my company at the time to hire her, but we just couldn't, we couldn't make it work with the contracts and things. And um, so I just kept, you know, kept in contact with her. And then when this job opened up, it was just like, I I thought that she was very happy in where she was working. And um, I I put out saying, oh, I'm looking for a business development manager. And she called me. What the F, man? Like, we've been trying to work together for four years. Like, why didn't you call me? And I thought, oh, I thought you would, you know, happy you, you're happy where you were. And she's like, I want in. And so I immediately, I just, I turned to Katie at the desk and I just went, oh, take down the, take down the ad off seek and everything. She's, she's in like, cause I knew, I knew that she was in and, and I knew that not only was she talented, but she was also ambitious and she wanted, she wanted to prove herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the way we've, we've hired not only our, our tech team but also everyone else and i guess that's the way katie and i have always operated yeah and 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 our business you know we're not one of the big guys we're a startup Mm -hmm. you know we we are automatically the underdog yeah so we need people who are going to have enough hustle and ambition to say i'm going to prove to you why we're not you Mm -hmm. know and why we should be at the top yeah 
And so, yeah. That's but, yeah, and you can almost win on trust with that approach, I think, as well, because, you know, the amount of times I've been in a, a meeting with someone and <laughs> by the end of it, I'm like, I'm, I'm not your guy. Like, you know, I'm yeah. not, I'm, this isn't, there's got to be, I reckon this person over here can help you more than I can. Right. Um, and just the way that kind of, you know, you, you say that and then someone looks at you kind of a bit funny for a while and then they appreciate it. But But my thinking is, you know, if there's no need, if I'm not needed, I'm not needed. You know, yeah. we'll find out in three months anyway or something. So right. let's, you know, say it now that, uh, you know, yeah, I'm not, I'm not your guy actually. And yeah, um, yeah so that, that, that culture, that, that culture is incredible to think of. Um, but all right, so we'll have to wrap this up in a minute. I've chewed your ear off for the last <laughs> little while. Um, so Benchon, so what's some of the you know who some people might be listening to this and going well you know what could they use bench on for what's some of the people they know how could they use bench mm. on what who, who's it so you're talking about enterprise clients at the moment who's who's this perfect for right now um so we've got about um out of we, we've got just over 300 corporate clients at the moment um out of those we've got around 20 enterprises um Without mentioning names yet, because I haven't been approved to uh, to talk about it publicly, but they're they're on it. So, yeah. one of the big four banks, mm-hmm. one of the big four consulting firms, um, you know, global defense engineering companies, um, you know, global logistics companies, you know, accounting firms, legal firms. Um, we're across, you know, defense, IT, mining, oil and gas, construction, education, uh, business consulting all the finance and accounting you know so it's we are horizontal across all industries and the, and the reason for that is is that the way that industries have been operating over the last decade has forced it into this contract based scenario yeah. where even even a bank you know has a large contingent workforce they need to support their projects so they need contingent workers and at, in one hand they they scream out going oh there's talent shortages in our industries we're, we're not getting the right people and on the other side the side that i'm on i'm si- i'm talking to these business owners who are like if i can't get this guy on a contract or this guy or girl on a contract i'm gonna have to let them go and that's gonna you know hurt my business so i'm yeah. like well you know the the talent's there you yep. just need to find it mm-hmm. and so my advice then is that you know this is for s- this will suit any company that a managing director has ever been there with their head in their hands on a Friday night going, how am I going to pay wages this month? Uh, and it's for any enterprise that goes, you know, I just want a better, faster, efficient way to find con- contingent workers that aren't necessarily job seekers or freelancers. Yeah, Because you know? okay. that's what, we don't do that. It's purely business to business. Right. We, and yeah, so um, we have everything from global enterprises to micro companies. You know, and and we have a lot of people that approach us and say, "Look, I want to start my own business. Mm-hmm. You know, can you help?" Okay, well, if you you know, if you get your logo and your brand and all that set up, then come on board and we'll help you grow your business sustainably. Right. So, so they can they can take on a couple of projects and bring on just a couple of contingent workers, see how it works out for their yeah. Right. Or, or they or, or they go, okay, well, I'll get you your first contract mm-hmm. and then I'll just keep throwing you opportunities. So you start to collect together resumes of people that you want to hire mm-hmm. and any time I throw a contract at you that's that, then hire that person. And now, hey, you've got a business, yeah. you know, and yeah. then I'll just keep throwing them at you and you can just grow as the opportunities come up yeah. and we reduce the risk in the downtime yeah. so that, you don't have to then let them go after that contract. Yeah. But 
the the market continually uses us in different ways that I never expected. So um, one of them is professional development. You know, enterprises have always said to me, oh, we don't care about money utilization. You know, we're, we're that big. We got that much money. Well, I mean, we just put them <laughs> on, to, put them onto some other department to get something done. And I was, yeah. I was like, okay. And then one enterprise who was just um, so innovative and forward thinking, the person I was talking to, he was at the C-suite level, and he just went. I want to use this for a professional development for my team. I don't want employees sitting there getting stale at mm. their desk and demotivated because they're doing the same old thing. Okay, instead I'll put you out into, into industry for a month. You'll learn how a different style of business operates. You'll get a different change of pace. You know, you'll learn new things, you'll develop new networks and then you can come back yeah. and I might put you into a, a more senior position or I might just put you into a new team or a new project or, you know, so that professional development side was something i hadn't envisaged when i first designed bench on yeah but now that's that's part of it so you got some businesses that use us just for passive business development others that use us to prevent underutilization mm-hmm. others that use it for professional development you know right. um it, and the reason is because uh, you know there's a lot out there when they talk about well if the customers are using you in ways that you never thought then maybe you know you're not focused enough and it's not that, it's the fact that every business out there in industry has a different model, a different mm. way of operating, a different a different leader who thinks differently about the use of his resources or her resources. Um, so we've we've been flexible and agile enough to be able to accommodate that without changing our process. Right. Yeah. Brilliant. Now it sounds awesome. Like and, and it's one of those things you you probably almost reflect on it a bit like Uber. It's sort of like, well, yeah, that's that's a perfect idea. And then what you're doing is sounds similar it's like yeah why wouldn't we want to utilize what we're right what's not being used but uh someone had to do it (laughs) yeah it's just i mean this is circular economics is the flavor of the startup movement you know like there should be no waste we can repurpose waste into the value for somebody else Mm -hmm. um and uh, they're all the big all the big startups are doing you know you've got airbnb and uber and all that all they're doing is repurposing wasted utilized assets yeah um so we've now just done that in the you know, in the white-collar professional talent space. Yeah. And, and I think the original definition of an entrepreneur was someone who, who moves resources from an area of low economic yield to high economic yield. So right. So you're, um, you're one of the pure breeds. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. All right. So where can people find you and find Benchon if they want to, you know, learn more or learn a bit more about you? What's some places they should go? Sh- sure. So our website is um, benchon.com.au. Um in there, you, you'll you'll be able to see all of the information about the process and how it works. You'll be able to see our thousand job pledge campaign that we're running right now to create a thousand new jobs in industry. Right. Um, and or they can just call thirteen hundred or oh, thirteen thousand bench, which right. is our number. The thirteen hundred number was taken. Right. <laughs> so thirteen thousand bench. Um, and yeah, we're we're happy to chat through anyone and see what their situation is and how we can help. Right, and I'll um I'll put the the link to your LinkedIn profile and whatnot in the, the oh, show yeah. notes as well, so they can they can find you there too. But Tim, thanks uh, so much for being with us today. Appreciate you you coming on. Yeah, no worries, mate. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Be The Push podcast. Show notes can be found at bethepush.com forward slash podcast and clicking on the relevant episode link. 
I appreciate your company and look forward to talking to you again soon.